Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Wednesday, September 16th, and most of the ACC schools are off and rolling. We recap week one, preview week two. We do some lines. We've got some not-so-good news out of Hokie land, but hey, uh, unfortunately, we're used to that. But first off, Tim, what's going on? So we led into the podcast, you know, I don't know, maybe this was a couple weeks ago, hell, maybe it was last week. Time, memories, they mean nothing to me. Everything's fleeting. Um, But I will tell you, I tried the spicy McDonald's chicken nuggets tonight, and if I were to rate them on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd give them a a strong 9. They're they're pretty dang good. So I highly recommend them if anybody is uh, wanting some fast food that is terrible for you to try. Uh, definitely give the spicy nuggets a go and make sure you get the hot sauce to go with them. Well, that's good because if if they were bad, I'd, I'd feel really worried about your mental health <laughs> uh, because I feel like that would that wouldn't have gone yeah. over too well. That that wouldn't have been good, you know. And luckily, I think they there's so much like original McDonald's chicken nuggets, which are you know if you're going to power rank chicken nuggets, I think they're at least a top three or they should be on most people's lists. Um, you know, they've retained enough of that original McDonald's quality to where they're not totally different, but they did enough different in the spicy nugget to where, you know, it doesn't taste just the same. So, you know, they, they did enough to get a little bit of differentiation, but the spicy is a nice kick, man. I'm, I'm like a sucker for spicy. You know, I don't know about you, but when I go grocery shopping, if there is, you know, like, let's call it a more spicy version of a hot sauce I like, or a spicier version of a chip that I like, I, I immediately buy it. And it's an insta buy for me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, um, I'm all about that Nashville hot chicken right now. So I've been, you know, just trying to knock off, you know, basically every place I can find. Um, I've been doing a pretty good job of it. Been eating a lot of chicken, a lot of hot chicken. So, um, yeah, no, I'm all about the, the spicy, you know, one thing that I saw that I thought would, uh, I don't know. I don't know if you're a wine guy. Taco Bell has its own wine now. Really? So like in store, they have their own wine? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't click on it, but they've got their own wine. Wow. So I will say one of the cooler things I did over the past three years is, you know, Taco Bell has their regular restaurants and they have Taco Bell cantinas, which are a Taco Bell that serves alcohol and is typically much more upscale, kind of hip looking on the inside. Okay. Um, one opened up in Raleigh across the street from NC State. So a friend and I um, decided to have a Taco Tuesday. I went over there um, and they have the slushies going, you know, that they normally have, the Baja Blast slushy. Um, and so, you know, I added tequila to it nat- naturally. And it was just a match made in, in heaven. Um, if I lived anywhere near one of those right now, um, you know, and I was maybe single, maybe the kids weren't around. That would be a real demon of mine, uh, that I would need to shake off. <laughs> That's where you would go to, to, uh, to pick up, pick up women, the Taco Bell well, of Cantina. course, of course, yeah. every woman wants to be hit on with it, with, you know, by a guy with a blue tongue. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, that sounds crazy, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I lost my train of thought here. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. First off, I've never heard of a Taco Bell cantina, so you know that's great. I don't, I don't know if there's anything like that. You know, we just found out there's going to be a Velvet Taco coming to Nashville. Are you familiar with Velvet Taco? I am not, but it sounds high class. It's good. It's good. I, I remember it. 
Um, I don't even know if it's a Dallas original or not, but there was one in Dallas. Um, I was really hoping for Torchies, but it was weird because we were talking about, you know, there's just not very many good taco places here in Nashville, which is kind of surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, me there too. is a lack of them in this market. So literally like a day ago, saw the headline. So I'll take it. I'll take Velvet Taco. Uh, it's good. It's it's definitely like a, uh, it's kind of like a Chipotle of tacos. You know, it's a little bit kind of like fast casual, pretty solid. You're going to yeah. spend probably five bucks a taco type of deal. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, it's not Taco Bell prices, but good. Sure, sure. I mean, that's half the allure. But, you know, I love, love Chipotle. Uh, love the fast casual. I mean, fast casual restaurants, you really just, you can't beat them. Um, you know, they split that that middle ground between the restaurant and the fast food in, in usually such a good way. And, and it's funny you mentioned Torchies. I have heard so much about Torchies oh. um, to the oh, point where I am you. upset that I have not had Torchies before. So here's the deal with Torchies. It is a Texas, I believe it's a Texas-owned chain. So it's family-owned. Okay. They don't franchise. So every store that they have, they own. And so there's only like 14 locations i've looked into this i looked in <laughs> to a franchise at torchies <laughs> that's how to. much i love torchies right um and you know now they're they're actually in uh the astro stadium there's a huge torchies logo in the back and i think they're in the new ranger stadium as as well now so um wow. it was announced that the rangers are going to be hosting the world series so now when we're watching the world series we can uh, look out for the torchy sign and just daydream about all the wonderful tacos you could have but yeah torchies that's man. awesome next time you're in dallas austin houston whatever gotta go to torchies if we're ever allowed to travel again i don't know yeah who knows i mean hell we may be on lockdown forever at this point so tim i mean i gotta tell you this this weekend um I, I think from like a mental health standpoint, it was probably one of the greatest things that could have happened to me to just sit there. I could there. not agree more. It was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. I'll admit Saturday was still a little off to me because, you know, you're not getting the SEC promos. Not everybody's back. You know, there's no Virginia Tech game. There's just more bad Virginia Tech news that we have to deal with. They're not playing. But for the most part, it felt normal when you had a football game on your TV. And then NFL Sunday felt very normal. And, uh, yeah, I got to tell you, I, don't, I, I didn't do much on Sunday once the game started. I'll be honest. I was, I was a bum, and uh, I'm not going to apologize for it. You shouldn't. You know, the we I don't know if they'll ever study this or not, but the way it worked out for me is the run up until college football and pro football, up until three weeks out, two weeks out, I had a horrible feeling to where I would not allow myself to actually believe the football seasons would be a go because that would have hurt, right? You you don't want to get hurt so you protect yourself. Um by shutting down, as you should. Um, but as we got further and further and it started to look more likely, the game started coming on. I noticed something, and that's that I have a whole new appreciation for football that I didn't have before. Because for the first time in my life, it seemed like there was a potential for an actual football season to not occur. And maybe at some point 
throughout the past 32 years of my life, I took football maybe for granted. But this past weekend, I ingested more football than I think I've, I've ever ingested, at least over the course of the last few years. And I literally held on to just about every play I watched and was like, man, this is awesome. Football's awesome. I mean, every play. A, wide, a good wide receiver block downfield. That's one of the most impressive blocks I've ever seen. A running back gains five yards. That's one of the best five-yard runs I've ever seen. And I sat there a kicker misses and cherished goals everything I saw. Those are some of the best misses we've ever seen. <laughs> but I'm serious. I mean, I literally could not get enough. And then Sunday rolls around, and I'm texting you. I sat there and watched Red Zone for seven hours, getting up to do things with, obviously, if the daughter needed something, wife needed something. But by and large, I sat there and took in Red Zone for seven hours, and my my soul needed that cleansing, is the only yeah. way I can put it. Yeah. It was, you know, the toughest part about Sunday for me was the Packers were not on. Uh, so I was, I spent the first quarter of Packer, of the Packers game trying to find a stream, um, which I did find. And it was okay. You know, it, it had its moments. And then, for whatever reason, the red zone just was not showing a lot of the Packers game. And they were constantly in the red zone. So, that was really irritating me. Um, yeah. Yeah, they spent a lot of time in that red zone. Yeah. But that was that was my only, Packers. That was my only uh, complaint. So. Yeah. And I will yeah, say, was, you know, the, do you remember that book, Chicken Noodle Soup for Your Soul? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. So, like if teenage, that book. like trend that was. Yeah. So if that book was chicken noodle soup for your soul, this past weekend was a 24-count buffalo wing dinner for your soul. That's the way it I was. would put it. It was. It, I, I was just in a better mood come Monday. Yeah. Everything, the birds sang more beautiful. I mean, flowers, I guess they're on their way out, but sure seemed like they were blooming when I, yeah. you know, got to start work up on Monday. colors, and then, then they fizzled Ugh. away. So, yeah. the ACC, Tim, let's let's recap week one first, the ACC. Yeah. So, we're not going to dive too deep here into the games, but, you know, I thought some of the things that really stood out to me is Kyron Williams for Notre Dame looks really good. <laughs> yes. Uh, that guy, he's got like a explosive button that he hits and he's just gone. I think he had over yeah. 200 total yards. Um, he led Notre Dame in receiving because he had that one big touchdown catch. Um, the receivers for Notre Dame were pretty average. Ian Book didn't look particularly good. I thought Duke uh, looked pretty solid. I thought Chase Bryce played well. Uh, Chase Bryce from Duke. I mean, good Lord, Mike Tirico. Did you uh, – sorry. Chase Bryce from Clemson, who's on Duke. <laughs> I mean, right. Mike Tirico, every single time the guy took a snap, he was reminding us he played at Clemson. It's like, dude, we oh, yeah. did it. We got it. Oh, yeah. We got it. He it, came from Clemson. I, I think he yes. was playing a game with his partners in the booth, and he was making a bet how many times he could work that reference in throughout there the course of the There must be like game. a Syracuse drinking game about the number of times you can mention Clemson during a broadcast, which is where yeah, he there is. went to school. There is. And he, yeah. uh, that's what he was doing. He gets paid by the word Clemson. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. I, I just I, I hope it doesn't go on for the rest of the year because I'm I'll probably lose it. I was getting yeah, it's so not sustainable. Florida State. Oh my goodness, Tim. Ugh. Could you hear my eye roll never, through the mic? Oh yeah. I will never 
be fooled by Florida State again. I mean, what a trash program. Like, that's all I can say. <laughs> right. I mean, it doesn't matter what they do, who they bring in, it's the same trash on the field week in, week out, year in, year out. It is an absolute joke. I mean, I don't even know who to blame. I'm not going to blame Mike Norvell. He just got there. Um, I'm off the James Blackman bandwagon. I'm done. I can't Same. I can't be on it anymore. Same. Uh, they just need to go in and put Jordan Travis into the football games. I mean, I'm just, I don't know what to say about Florida State other than they are just trash. They're a trash program right now. And that was one of the worst performances. It, it, we talked about it last week. Like, Vegas must know something. <laughs> Vegas, yeah. Vegas just didn't forget. That's what Vegas did. Vegas knew Florida State is Florida State right now. And right. unfortunately, like, I just, I don't even know if they'll win four games this year. And, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Georgia Tech, you know. They they played really well defensively. They've got a quarterback, true freshman, Jeff Sims. You know, that guy was not who I was expecting uh, to see from them. So, you know, that's good. But, you know, I'll take it with a grain of salt, too, because, again, they were just playing a trash program in Florida State. So, right. you know, I hope I'm not being too harsh, but I'm just, I, I can't ever talk kindly about Florida State again until you know, they're in the ACC championship conversation, which which seems like a long ways away. Yeah. I mean, when you get to this point with the amount of talent they've had, and they're still, you can still see the talent on the team. They can't put the pieces together. It's got to be some sort of cultural issue that you assume Norvell will work out. And maybe there's some semi-purge coming, like what happened with Virginia Tech um, in that transition from Beamer to Fuente. But you just you can't keep lumping your hopes on James Blackman to to reach his potential. I mean, if you're talking about the disparity in a in a true freshman quarterback and Sims and what Blackman was able to do, Blackman threw the ball 43 times, 23 completions. His yards per attempt were 4.6. Sims, 7.9. And we're talking about a huge talent disparity there. So, yeah, I mean, you can't keep thinking that this is going to get better because clearly we're all fools, or at least I'm a fool, for thinking that we're going to get something different out of FSU, and it's just it's not going to happen. So speaking of culture, you know, Louisville, again, offense rolling on all cylinders. Uh, again, learn my lesson. Shouldn't go against a well-coached team who has got the ear of his, of his players. Uh, I mean, they just right. went in there and smacked uh, the Hilltoppers uh, back up their hill, basically. So, um, right. I mean, the offense looked really good. You know, it, it's going to be a, a fun uh, watch against Miami this week. Maybe not. Maybe they'll just destroy them. But, um, yeah, I mean, Satterfield in year two looks looks like that offense is ready to go. Um, you know, the defense, I, I don't think we know a whole lot about that after the Western Kentucky game, but... You know, that's uh, that's going right. to be something to watch uh, this week when they play Miami. 
It is. And I think the main takeaway for me here was, you know, we went in talking about the Louisville rushing attack, but it was Mikhail Cunningham and the passing attack that really won the day for Louisville. I mean, almost hit 350 yards through the air. Um, if they can really start to tie that in uh, and get what they can out of Des Fitzpatrick out wide, Brandon Braden Smith, Tutu Atwell again, that's going to be dangerous because you're talking about a team that succeeds and excels in two areas on offense is almost impossible to stop. And, and at least from the first game, that's what it looks like we're dealing with in Louisville. Uh, Pitt dominated Austin P. No surprise there. I think the final score was 52 to nothing or something along those lines. Uh, Kenny Pickett graded out as the highest rated passer uh, in the ACC this week. So um, again, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a huge shock considering who they were playing. And then, you know, the game that uh, I was, I was kind of, again, disappointed with like Miami, they covered, they won 31 14 uh, against UAB. But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't wild by De'Eric King. Um, he certainly a very athletic playmaker uh, back there for them. Um, but, you know, for, watching him play and, and from a stat line standpoint, like just didn't jump off the page. Um, so, you know, I, I've still got some questions there about Miami. I, I was kind of disappointed with that performance. I mean, if you look at his stat line, over half of his rushing yards came on one play to end the first half because he decided to run it instead of throwing a Hail Mary. So it was just garbage rushing yards. Um, yeah. So, I mean, for me, the the, the jury's still out on De'Eric King and this Miami offense. Um, you know, I'm leaning more towards it's probably not going to be very good again. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe you had a different different perception. I, I did. So I agree with the what you took out of it, but I think the reasoning behind it may be a little bit to do with it. It seems like they went from a pro-style offense last year to one where Rhett Lashley this year said, we are going to get as many plays in a football game as we possibly can. And I think maybe that transition for everyone else on that football field was a little harder than they had thought. Because to me, the offense just looked like the timing was off. They look to be rushing, and maybe it's a situation where Rhett Lashley maybe needs to pull back just a notch or two on the tempo and just try to get that offense clicking. To me, I think what we saw out of De'Ara King was a guy who maybe didn't have the best day throwing but was constantly pressured. The offensive line didn't look great in the pass-blocking scenarios, mm-hmm. um, but you're talking about a guy who is major league elusive. Uh, looked like Lamar Jackson back in that pocket at times, and that's going to present challenges for every defense that faces him. Yeah, he looks. They don't necessarily need great passing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he looks a league above he looks like a what we would call a scrambler. He just, he just bounces. Right, exactly. It's like I, I always thought that about Kyler Murray watching him play. Like, yes, the guy was just. I was going to say the same thing. I don't think he is the same classes as Kyler Murray, um, but. He no, reminds no, no. me kind of of a Kyler Murray, but there's somebody else he reminds me of too, and I can't figure it out. And it's not Lamar Jackson, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like he, the the talent's definitely there. He's definitely going to give defenses issues. So that's not what I'm saying here. I just wanted to see more against the UAB team. Yeah, that's what I wanted. And I get it. And I think my takeaway, if I had to put it in a sentence or two, is that. We didn't see more that we thought we were going to see in this game, but in the glimpses I did see, I still am on the side of more is coming from that Miami team. I think the other thing we have to 
also mention here is we don't know how much practice time all of these guys have had together, depending on sure what's gone on with the COVID-19 situation, you know, how many guys have been out, you know, it, I mean, listening to Fuente, like we wouldn't have been able to open against NC state, no less UVA this week. So, um, listening sure. to Ed Orgeron today, you know, almost his entire team has it. Oh my, you know, Texas tech 69 yeah. positives or 69 cases that have been closed and six more still active. So 75 total players, right. you know, it's, it's, it's there, it's happening. Um, and you know, there's certain schools that have had fewer cases than others. They've also haven't had students on their campus, uh, for as long yet. So, right. you know, we'll, we'll see what, uh, how great that culture is that we like to say that makes no earthly sense to me when you can point to a program and say culture when you're talking about contracting COVID-19. Um, but, yeah, you know, it is what it is. So uh, I think all of these teams, it's so hard to judge where they're at after week one right. just because we don't know how much time they've actually had together. So um, with Florida right. State, I'm not giving them that. Because they looked like the same no, Florida State. No. Um, but sure. Miami, you know, I think the jury's still out on them. Clemson and Wake, you know, uh, nothing surprising there. You know, at absolute no. domination in the first half. Uh, and then basically pulled their starters after the first series or two in the second half. Um, Sam Hartman, you know, lucky that he is not out for an extended period of time. He landed really awkwardly. Uh, in the third quarter, and uh, they pulled him after the game. So, um, you know, glad to see him able to to get off the field there. But, I mean, I thought Sam Hartman looked, uh, you know, fine. You know, there was a, a play in the their first series there that was pass interference that wasn't called. Um, so I think, you know, there was a really good chance that Wake would have scored um, on that opening drive. But, um you know, it's a tough game for to really assess Wake Forest. You really can't can't really assess Clemson either because they're just head and shoulders above Clemson or above Wake. But you know, nothing happened in that game that we didn't expect. No, and I will say the one takeaway for me because we can you know throw praises on Clemson and they deserve it. To me, Wake Forest, their biggest issue is the lack of playmakers on the edge. Coming in, that was the biggest hole we saw that needed to be filled, given the departures. I got to say, I mean, they were 10 yards away from having two 100-yard receivers against Clemson, and and that's a big deal. Um, You know, Moore and Roberson both flashed, but I thought a guy, Donovan Green in particular, looked really good against an athletic uh, defensive backfield. And, you know, I think if you're – Wake Forest in this case, you know, you take a little solace out of the fact that you have Hartman and, you know, some guys stepping up on the edge that, uh, you know, you were probably worried about coming in. So that's my takeaway as far as the Wake Forest side of things goes. So that is basically our recap for week one. Uh, Let's jump over to Virginia Tech. So unfortunately, uh, not good news out of Hokie Land, um, which just seems to be... Uh, an unfortunate trend. Um, first thing we'll talk about here is COVID situation. So, you know, Virginia Tech's not releasing uh, information as to, you know, how many players or who has it, uh, which is fine. That's uh, that's their right. 
Uh, I don't think we really need to know because I think if we saw anything uh, this weekend, uh, we just have a bunch of people on Twitter, you know, harassing players uh, and calling them out. So I don't think that's what uh, what we want to see from the fan base. Uh, long story short, Virginia Tech is unable to field a football team uh, to play against UVA this week. So uh, they're going to reschedule. Um, you know, they shut down practice for four weeks. I think that four days expired today. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. Um, you know, Fuente reached out to, to Bronco and was like, you know, hey, we can't go. So, um, you know, the game has yet to be rescheduled. UVA did move a game around uh, in November to open up a November 14 block. Virginia Tech plays Miami on November 14. So more than likely, you know, there's another game that's going to be moved there for uh, UVA. But it sounds like they're trying to get that final weekend in November like we're accustomed to. Uh, for this rivalry. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens there. Obviously, uh, not the news that we wanted to to hear. You know, we'd love to be previewing Virginia Tech uh, uh, game one right now, but we're not. So Virginia Tech is back to opening against uh, NC State next week. And, uh, you know, hey, it, it is what it is. So you got to take you got to take this seriously, no matter what your stance is. Uh, you have to proceed with caution here. You know, it's about player safety. It's about yeah. coach safety. It's about anybody who touches the program. Um, and hey, if these guys are getting, you know, the virus uh, in whichever way that they're getting it, like you just have to you have to take the precautions. And if that means shutting things down, that means shutting things down. So uh, that's just kind of the world that we live in here in 2020. So Tim, I don't know if you've got any uh, more color to throw on that. No, it's not necessarily color. It's just kind of interactions on Twitter and social media. The response to this from the UVA side, I thought was ridiculous. Um, so much, I guess for a better word here, that's more PC, junk talking going on in regards to players catching COVID, um, not being able to field enough players because of COVID. And it turned into a oh, you know, we're better than you guys because our test rates are lower and we were ready to play, yada, yada, yada. That's such a joke given what we know about COVID and how it's transmitted that I can't even get into how stupid you come off gloating and trying to beat your chest about something that you are literally one person away from having the same scenario befall your program. So if you're, doubt it, given our, you know, our content, but if there are any who's on this podcast or listening to this podcast and and you are doing any of that, stop it because you sound like idiots. And my, that, that just is what drove me crazy about all this. Not that we were doing what was in the best interest of the players. That's a given, you know, with Fuente that that is going to occur. Um, It was the other side of things, which is, it felt so disgusting, especially when you consider, you know, our students have been on campus for weeks now um, UVA has had just put theirs on this week. So be careful throwing stones in glass houses, guys, when you talk about this stuff. Nobody can control COVID. Yeah, it's just frustrating to me. Like even Seth Greenberg like quote tweeted a statistic that a reporter had about the number of cases at UVA and Boston College, and he says, This comes down to culture. I'm paraphrasing here, but that's essentially mm, what he said. Sure. And I'm just you know, no, it doesn't. Like it has it nothing to all. do with culture. Like, I could take every single precaution. I could be the most 
cautious person to ever proceed in the world around COVID-19. And I could still get right. You can't, yep. you, it, it's not a That's choice. That's how it works. You know? So right. don't tell me it's culture. Boston College has like 3,000 students, okay? UVA hasn't had kids on campus until the 8th of September. Like, right. most other schools have had kids around August 20th. So it's been a couple of weeks now. Right. So let's pump the brakes a little bit and stop throwing rocks all over all over the place and pointing fingers and all this. Sh- like, it's COVID-19. You cannot... Yeah make sense of it you have to basically respond to it in real time react to it and deal with it as the situation arises like it is unrealistic to think that kids on the college campus are not going to come into a circumstance where they could be at higher risk to get COVID-19 it's just not going to happen remember yourself at 18 right like 19 20 21 please if you want to sit here on your high horse and with your Twitter fingers, and start throwing shade, like, it's just a joke. Like, I'm sorry. And right. for the record, a lot of these UVA tweeters, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure couldn't even get into, like, Florida State. Not to throw more shade to Florida State right. today. But I just did. Right. Boy, Florida State's your punching bag <laughs> So. You know, yeah. based off yeah. of the I mean, I mean, the level the, of tweeting I'm seeing from these accounts. So right, and not that Twitter is where you would go to expect class and proper discourse, no. but to really see that reaction out of the other that. side, no, you can't, you can't. But to see that reaction, really frustrating and disappointing, given all we've been through as a country, and given all that it's taken to get where we are now. That, to me, was frustrating. And as if I needed any more fuel to want to just beat UVA into the ground whenever we face them, um, that certainly added to it. So that was my take. Yeah, I personally enjoyed the uh, the photo of the Commonwealth Cup with all the players masked in the locker room. That was my favorite. So Oh, God. In, insufferable. Insufferable. But, hey, I hope Get that they enjoy... In taking another Snap, victory Snap. when you get beaten as many times in a row as they've been beaten i i guess you start trying to find victories in everything in life uh unfortunately tim uh more bad news so uh yeah devin hunter uh was arrested and charged with a felony and a misdemeanor um and was immediately suspended from football activities i don't know about the university but Whenever you're uh, arrested for a felony, you are immediately suspended. Um, so, I mean, you know, I'm not going to dwell on everything that has come out here. I think there's still a lot more to discover. Um, innocent until proven guilty. I think uh, I think we forget that sometimes, you know, especially when you're dealing with family matters or, you know, hearsay and other people's stories. Like, again, I'm not saying... Um, you know, he's completely to blame or anything like that, but I'm also not going to, uh, jump to conclusions. So unfortunate situation, obviously uh, a bit of a shock to the coaching staff. I mean, this guy was just named a captain, um, you know, considered to be one of the leaders on this team, uh, considered to be a pretty high character guy, uh, from all accounts. So, 
a lot of shock in the locker room, a lot of shock uh, from the coaching staff. Obviously, they did not address it head on, but, you know, did, you know, mention that he's not part of the football team right now. So, uh, unfortunately, this will probably be the end of Devin Hunter for 2020. Um, you know, hopefully everything uh, gets worked out and, you know, law enforcement is able to, to do what they need to do. But just another just negative wrinkle into uh, the Virginia Tech program. And again, this isn't a coaching issue. This isn't a culture issue. This is just something that happened. And uh, now Virginia Tech has to deal with it and move on. Yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate. You know, of all the players, I think I was most excited to see Devin out on the field um, because of how long he had waited how much time he had put in and the stature of recruit that he was when he committed and when he committed um, was such a big deal for this program. And a guy that seemingly did everything right um, seemed to be a huge boon in the locker room to have around. Uh, It's just, it's, it's shocking. It's sad. I hope that whatever happened comes to light in a way that, you know, sees justice truly served in this case. Um, you know, we don't know any details. We don't know what actually went down. Um, but these are super sticky situations. Anytime you deal with any sort of family members, domestic violence, those kind of things. Um, so, you know, my, my thoughts and prayers are with he and the victim and, you know, I hope everything works out the way it's intended. Um, and, and, you know, the Hokies now go on and, uh, look for replacements and um, you know, see how they can best pick up the pieces and move forward this close to the season. Yeah, and you know, regarding the safety position, there's a number of guys who could step in there. But uh, again, like, considering just where we're at with the COVID situation, it's it's really hard to kind of get an assessment of who may not be able to practice and who may be able to get the most reps before NC State next week. So sure. Uh, it'll be something to monitor. Obviously, they they haven't been practicing the last few days, so that'll uh, that'll hopefully change as we kind of hit later this week. But let's um, I don't have any more hokey news, Tim. That's that's about enough for me. Did you have any others you want to hit on here? Um, no, nothing big. Uh, nothing big. Just uh, it was interesting to note. I just passed a tweet not too long ago um, that mentioned that Virginia and Bronco Mendenhall were given the chance. Uh, to play Virginia Tech on the NC State weekend when NC State had to cancel its game with Virginia Tech um, to play Virginia Tech UVA right off the bat in the first week with everyone else in Bronco Mendenhall uh, declined that option. So when you're talking about who's scared to play who um, and you know saying Virginia Tech canceling is uh, due to COVID is partly because they're scared, um, that road clearly goes both ways. Absolutely. So uh, just another wrinkle in the rivalry, you know. We're gonna look back on yeah, yeah. Just just like to throw that in there. When did we really, really start? Like really, really start hating UVA, and it's like 2020. That was the year. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. That that's gonna be the flashpoint. That's gonna be the flashpoint. All right, so let's jump into uh, ACC Week Two preview, and uh, you know I've got more for some and less for others, but let's let's kick it off as as we're gonna see them. So Syracuse at Pitt. Oh, that's one game we didn't talk about, um, but we'll we'll talk about it a little bit here. Uh, the Syracuse North Carolina game. Wow, uh, Panthers a twenty one yeah. and a half point favorite. This this game is kicking off at noon Eastern on the ACC Network. You know what to watch for here. Over under 
10 sacks for Pitt. You know, Syracuse <laughs> can't block. <laughs> no. They can't block. DeVito is one of the most sacks, sacked quarterbacks in the nation over the last year, going back to last season and going back to last week. No reason to expect that changes in this one. I mean, Pitt has one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, Syracuse, I mean, ample opportunities to take control of that game last week against North Carolina in the first half and just choked it choked it all away. I mean, the defense for, for Syracuse looked pretty solid at times, but, man, this offense is tragically bad. So yes. over or under 10 sacks for, for Pitt, Tim. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with the under there, um, but it's only slightly. I'm going to go with the push. Uh, you know, right <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me, man. That, watching Syracuse play UNC was mind-numbingly frustrating. I think the biggest issue there is obviously when your quarterback goes 13 for 31, you're going to have huge problems. That's a completion percentage hovering around 38 to 39%. Um, but the other scary part is DeVito, not known for being super fleet of foot, was also Syracuse's leading rusher. That's a formula that is not going to work for the rest of the season. So the new coordinator there in Syracuse has his hands completely full. I think defensively, Syracuse obviously pops a little bit more, uh, obviously, than the offensive side. Um, you know, So it's hard to say how bad they are given who they were going up against and giving UNC's obvious prowess through the air and on the ground. Um, but, man, Pitt should have an absolute field day with a defense that is already considered one of the best in the ACC. Going up against that Syracuse offensive line is a scary, scary proposition if you're Dino Babers. And just Tommy DeVito. I mean, oh yeah, well yeah. Let's let's talk about that. I mean, the guy was already even, the even most... when he can throw the ball cleanly, he he misses yeah. his receivers. So and and let's not forget this is Mr. DeVito is one of the most beaten up quarterbacks in the history of of myself watching the ACC over the course of this year and uh, you know obviously last year. It's just it's insane the beating the guy takes. Kenny Pickett against a solid defense, you know, the one bright spot for Syracuse last week was their D, uh, you know, showed a great ability to force turnovers. You know, it's going to be a good challenge for Pickett, who, uh, again, you know, was the top rated QB in week one in the ACC. Um, So, yeah, you know, I I think this is a sneaky good test for Kenny Pickett. um, If he can show some consistency and, you know, being able to move the ball at will here. I'm not so much uh, going to be focused on the scoreboard because I don't think the scoreboard's going to be pretty for one of these teams. Um, but I just want to see Pitt moving up and down the field and, and Pickett able to consistently move the ball. Yeah, I mean, this is going to tell you a lot. It's going to tell you a lot about Kenny Pickett and the trajectory of this team as a whole because they're going to ride or, or die with Kenny Pickett and how much he can give them above and beyond a solid ground game. So, you know, a good test. Again, Syracuse playmakers on the defensive line and playmakers in the secondary, um, you know, as we saw against UNC. Uh, and and this will, you know, be a good litmus test for Pitt and, and their offense. Last thing I'm looking for here is the scoreboard. Uh, I'm not sure Syracuse can score against Pitt, you know. So this could be Pitt's second straight shutout. Syracuse at six points against North Carolina. Um, and probably should have had close to 30 in the first half. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say Pitt shuts him out. I'm watching the scoreboard. Tim, I don't know what you got. Uh, 28-3. Okay. So you just got to sneak the little field goal in there. So, yeah. yeah it's going to be a long season for Syracuse. 
It is. It is. It's going to be a long season, and you know, it just you don't see it getting better anytime soon. Boston College at Duke. This is the one I'll be watching at noon. Uh, Duke is a four and a half point favorite. Um, it's going to be on Watch ESPN. New era for Boston College. So didn't play last week. So this is their uh, their home their opener their season opener I should say. So uh, really tough to know what to expect. But hey, zero COVID cases, so the team should be healthy. Uh, the Jeff Halfley era is finally underway. Again, he was the former co defensive coordinator for Boston College. Um, you know, defense hasn't really been the challenge at BC over the last few years. So, um, it, we'll, we'll see what can happen on the offensive side of the ball here. So I'll just move into, to look number two, Tim is, is just that new look BC offense. So no Anthony Brown transferred to Oregon. AJ Dillon is a green Bay Packer. Go pack go. And then you've got Dennis Grossell and Phil Jerkovich, the transfer from Notre Dame who are battling it out for the starting job. And, as of last check, that has not been decided yet. So, um, again, the one uh, the one good thing that they do have on this offense is David Bailey. You know, just the tank of a running back who is taking over the reins for AJ Dillon. They just keep churning out these big old beasts that that carry the ball. Um, so, you know, this could either be a really surprising unit or just a pretty average one. So, depending on what happens at that quarterback position, I personally think Dennis Grossell will not be starting. Uh, and no, Phil Jerkovich can play at all. So um, David Bailey, he's the real deal. Uh, just, again, expect that heavy, heavy dosage of, of ground game when you're playing Boston College. But um, I'm most interested to see what Jerkovich can do, assuming he plays. Yeah, I am too. You know, and this is another kind of Kenny Pickett type situation where what Phil can give them on the offensive side of the ball is going to determine whether they have a kind of poor season or slightly above average to decent season. Um, I love watching David Bailey run. He's an absolute load back there. Uh, you know, and, and if you can couple that with at least decent quarterback play, I mean, you could have Boston College, you know, punching above their weight class from an offensive standpoint. I, I think they're now sneaking into my dark horse for an offense that we thought maybe wasn't going to be as good, but maybe is going to end up in the top half of the ACC um, just because of the balance that exists there. If they can find decent enough play from Phil Jerkovich, and I, th- I think they might. I think they might. You know, when you don't exactly know what to spe- expect from a team on offense after having a certain identity for such a long time, I think this is going to give the chance to surprise some people um, because they're not going to have the amount of film and the amount of knowledge that they had on them prior. So I'm, I'm actually really excited for this game. This is going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah. I think both of these teams have the chance to be surprise teams, of the ACC. And part of that reason is chase price transfer from Clemson, the Duke quarterback, looks pretty good so yeah can he get his first w you know he he looks the part played a very solid game against notre dame um certainly looks like you know this team responds well to him um just gotta look for him to take the next step get that first w and you know i think they probably will in this game i think this has a chance to be a close game but um you know i i like chase bryce more than i like an unknown a quarterback for bc so um, again, like it, good quarterback play in college doesn't necessarily translate to wins, but, um, I think Duke has a chance to be a tad bit better than kind of, we predicted them to be just because of, of Bryce at quarterback. 
Yeah, I think so too. I think I think what we need to look for from Bryce is he played a little too much like a game manager in that first game. Again, by design, I, I think uh, Cutcliffe thought going in that was the only way they were going to win was to manage the game and limit their mistakes. Um, but obviously, going up against BC, it's a different story. Now we need to see Chase Bryce uh, being a quarterback that can go out and single-handedly, and I say that, I don't mean single-handedly, but go out and make an impact for Duke in order to get the wins that they, they are hopeful they'll be able to get with him. And that's not going to be done with Chase Bryce as a quote-unquote game manager. Um, so we'll need to see a little more risk-taking, um, a little more verticality. And, and I think we're going to get that. I, I totally do. Going up against Notre Dame in week one is totally different than going against BC in week two. So yeah, it's going to be fun to see both these quarterbacks in this game. And I, I think you're totally right. Duke, another team, especially their offense, maybe one of those dark horse teams for a team that can totally surprise in that area, uh, given who they have manning the helm at quarterback. USF at Notre Dame, Irish a 26-point favorite. This game is on USA Network. I didn't even know USA still existed, I'm going to be honest. Neither did I. Uh, It's 2.30 Eastern. Um, USF, they opened against Citadel last week. Uh, Kieran Williams, that's who I'm watching for Notre Dame. You know, this looks like a dynamic playmaker out of the backfield. Uh, Had over 200 total yards against, 200 total yards of offense against Duke. Um, so I'll, I'll look for him to see if he can continue to cement himself as the lead back end playmaker for, for this Irish offense. Yeah, uh, for sure. And if he's anything like he was against Duke, uh, that's going to be another fun one to watch. He's just one of those running backs that when you see him, um, pops off the page quite literally, uh, and, and totally dynamic. And so hopefully he's able to continue where he left off, uh, in regards to that ground game. The receiving core, you know, had a pretty average day against Duke. Uh, Ian Book graded out pretty poorly as a passer. Offense looks stagnant at times if you take away the uh, Kieran Williams element. So uh, certainly some room for improvement that needs to to occur out of this positional group. And I think they'll eventually get there. I think there's some more talent coming in. They're delayed to the field for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, I was pretty disappointed with this group overall. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I thought Tommy Trimble uh, had a decent enough game, but wasn't able to get the yardage. I think maybe he was expecting, um, but I think there's potential there to get him more involved. And, and Joe Wilkins Jr. I think looked okay, but as a whole, I felt like Notre Dame was was limited, uh, obviously in receiving and, and partly due to uh, Ian Book's performance. So you know, if you're a Notre Dame fan, obviously you don't expect that Kieran is going to carry you for the rest of the season. Um, so anything you can get out of book in that receiving core uh, is going to be a good thing, and you'd expect to start seeing a return on that, especially against a team like uh, USF. And can this offense score in bunches? You know, USF isn't expected to have a great season. They went 4-8 and eight last season. Notre Dame underwhelmed against Duke in the first game. I think they were a three-touchdown favorite. They ended up winning by 14. Uh, you know, should have some better talent at wide receiver coming in, but... USF really isn't going to be posing much of a challenge here. I think the point spread's a little aggressive, just based off of what we saw last week. But right, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I I want to see more pop out of this Notre Dame offense. Yeah, and you know, I think going into this, Brian Kelly too is going to want to see that. So, um, you know, it's set up perfectly for them. I I don't think it can be understated how poor of a team USF has been over the past few years. 
Um, you know, and they don't seem to be, you know, punching above their weight class by any sort of means this year. So, um, you know, they're going to have a day in which they can take advantage of, of a weak team and go out and Ian Book have a, have a nice day and, and, you know, get, build up some momentum. And that's what I expect Notre Dame to do. So I agree. The spread seems like a lot. Um, but I certainly wouldn't bet against it just because of the opponent in this case. Charlotte at North Carolina, 3.30 Eastern, watch ESPN. Tar Heels are a 27.5 point favorite. Uh, I don't have a full slate of things to watch here, but my biggest thing to watch, and I feel like a broken record saying this because we were saying this last season, is can Mm -hmm. this team play consistent in all four quarters? You know, that's what you want when you're playing a team like Charlotte. You want that consistent domination. And a a team with as much talent as UNC has should be able to do that against a team like Charlotte. You know, if you look at last week, they turned it on in the second half against Syracuse. But had they played a better team last week, they would have gotten blown off the field in the first half. They played terrible. And Syracuse left multiple touchdowns on the field and only only got six points on the scoreboard, which is just unfathomable right. considering how many times their defense set them up inside the 50 um, in that first half. So uh, definitely some questions for, for UNC there. You know, Sam Howell didn't look particularly, you know, crisp. Um, I he, he looked really good at times. He looked really you know, mediocre to bad at other times. Um, and again, you know, young quarterback, again, how how much is this team played together? So I think we'll see. Uh, I do expect them to take care of business against Charlotte. I just want to see them do it in every single quarter. Yeah, I think they're going to win the game. I think the line is a little aggressive, only because you have a couple things working in Charlotte's favor. One, it's an in-state quote-unquote rivalry with a bunch of guys who weren't recruited by UNC. Um, And that can always lead to sort of the chip on the shoulder for the in-state school, for the guys they ignored, um, kind of coming back with a lot of momentum and and a lot of desire to go out there and and make a statement to a team who didn't recruit them. I think that always plays into a game like this. And then you have the other side of it, which Charlotte didn't look terrible against Appalachian State last week. Um, in a game where a lot of people thought Charlotte was maybe going to be outmatched by a team in Appalachian State who certainly um, has looked really good in recent history. Um, now, the, the final scoreline was 35-20, to 20, but the game itself was much closer. You know, in the third quarter, it was a one-point game um, before heading to the fourth where uh, Appalachian State scored two touchdowns. So I think there's a chance here. Uh, for Charlotte to to play and and cover the spread, but um, this should be an easy game uh, for UNC. And you know, there's just that little lingering doubt in the back of your head, saying, uh, "Maybe UNC won't win by quite so much, given the strange struggles and kind of disharmony that you saw from that offensive side of the ball, especially where Sam Howell was concerned." So that that's kind of my take on this whole thing is yeah it should be fairly easy for UNC but you know don't write Charlotte off completely for for maybe hanging around for a quarter or two yeah and I think the one reason the spread is attractive is because unlike Notre Dame we know North Carolina can score in bunches and they can score sure quickly so yes um I mean that's that's just what they seem to do is they just save it off for a quarter and a half two quarters um it's just it's really odd 
Number 14, mm-hmm. UCF at the 1-0 Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. 3.30 Eastern, ABC, UCF a 7.5-point favorite. A pretty challenging out-of-conference opponent, which we're not seeing a whole lot. So, No. Um, you know, the things I'm going to be looking for here is the Yellow Jackets D for real. You know, they're coming off a game, you mentioned it earlier, holding James Blackman a 4.6 yards per pass attempt. 90 yards rushing on 35 attempts for the team, you know, had three sacks. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, it's going to be a tough matchup for him. Uh, he is the uh, sophomore quarterback. Uh, and this mm-hmm. team looked pretty good last week. So, you know, are they going to hold up against a better, uh, better, you know, controlled offense uh, like UCF, who who has been kind of a powerhouse on offense over the last few years? Yeah, I, I'm excited to watch this game. I mean, this is the... 330 slot game in my opinion uh, that you're going to want to tune into you know you you have USF the the quote-unquote national champions from a couple of years ago um, who are criticized a lot of times for maybe not playing people out of conference right yeah so you have that whole drama going on and you have a team on the other side with a lot to prove riding a massive wave of momentum that no one saw coming and you know for me I'm going in here I'm wanting to see was Jeff Sims for real or was that Florida State? And I don't think this is going to end or open the book on Jeff Sims or determine anything about what his future may hold, but it will be quite eye-opening to see him have another strong performance against the likes of UCF and the Golden Knights. Um, so that's really what I want to see because to me, Jeff Sims looked incredible against Florida State. I think that you know everyone watching the game would have come away with that uh, same feeling. Um, maybe limiting some mistakes will be good for Jeff, but you know I just thought the ability to run the ball and throw the ball was was on ev- or in evidence the entire game. So I'm really excited. Gabriel on the other side, another good quarterback. But this is just a really really fun matchup, and I can't wait to watch. Man, this is going to be uh, like I said, my number one game for that 3:30 window. Yeah, and that leads us to the next thing to watch here, which is Jeff Sims against Dylan Gabriel. So. Uh, weren't expecting this i'll be honest you know but it's should be a pretty fun quarterback matchup in week two now again i think ucf is a better football team than georgia tech but you know georgia tech they've got swaggy g over there right yeah Yeah. they've got atlanta on the back of their helmets you know they're they're hungry to go out there and win they're competing you know they're fired up and you know you get a team like that they can beat anybody on any given day so um you know sims last week 277 yards, one touchdown, did have the two picks, rushed 13 times for 64 yards. Um, Gabriel had a very solid rookie campaign up and down at times, but really kind of looking to take the step in in year two. If you remember McKenzie Milton, um, who had that Mm -hmm. uh, terrible leg injury, uh, you know, there's a chance he's back this year. He he won't be back for this game, Um, won't be back for probably the month of September, maybe October, but... You know, there's a chance that that he's back, but if Gabriel can uh, can perform and and you know really kind of hold on to that job, you know, there's something to play for there. So very curious to see what uh, what Sims can do in week two. I'm I'm with you here. I'm going to be watching this one. Um, but yeah, I uh, I did not expect to to have Jeff Sims in my notes in uh, week two. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, going into this, if you're Georgia Tech, the opportunity has presented itself for you to get two impact wins against teams from the state of Florida in the beginning of the year. 
And, you know, for a team that's based out of Georgia, the Georgia-Florida rivalry is a real thing, especially between high school players in those states. Um, those boys are chomping at the bit to get at them. And, you know, I think that's going to add to the fuel of the fire, which is already a fun matchup. Um, but you got that team in Georgia Tech and that team in UCF, both with a lot to play for here. Um, UCF obviously playing a, a power five team is always going to add more fuel to their fire, given their situation in the group of five. Um, so yeah, good watching all around. Clemson hosts the Citadel 4 PM ACC network. No spread here. Not really much to say. Uh, Trevor Lawrence last week, 351 yards in just over two quarters. Uh, you know, probably won't even make it through the first half in this game. We're not going to really learn anything here. Not sure. Uh, I'm not sure why this is even on the schedule, um, but <laughs> you know, good reps for the second and third teamers. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I mean, this one is obviously going to be a bloodbath, but uh, you know, maybe those bulldogs from the Citadel can can play tough for a couple minutes and, and hang in there. But like you said, I mean, I think that maybe is why it's on the schedule to get those reps for the second and third team. But um, there won't be a whole lot to see here unless you like gaudy highlights for the first 15 minutes of the game. Yeah, I think it was Charlotte last year where Clemson dressed like 115 players. Yeah, you remember that? Yes, I do. I do. It was crazy. I, I never heard of something like that. Uh, Miami at Louisville, number 17 versus number 18, 730 Eastern ABC. Louisville is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Should be a fun matchup. Quarterbacks, something I'm watching here. De'Eric King didn't have the dynamite game Miami fans are probably hoping for, but very mobile, definitely uh, you know has, has the chance to flash at any moment. Uh, can certainly get out of the pocket. He's that pinball that we were talking about earlier. Uh, you know, I, I don't know who he reminds me of yet. He's he's not quite Kyler Murray, but he does move like him. Um, he just doesn't have the arm skill, I don't think, of a Kyler Murray. Uh, right. And, of course, Mikael Cunningham. You know, I won't say, you know, the first test um, because, you know, they did play Western Kentucky last year who has a very good defense, but – or last week, I should say. Uh, but the Miami defense, head to toe, a lot more talent. It's going to be uh, a lot quicker and should challenge this offensive front. So um, going to be interesting to see this Louisville offense go up against one of the ACC's better defensive units. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to learn really quickly here. Is, is Louisville uh, for real? And it's not because Miami's that good. But, again, Satterfield gets these guys ready. They'll be ready to go at home, and uh, you know, I, I still, I just, I don't want to buy into Louisville, but I, I have a feeling they're going to win this game. Yeah, you know, this one's hard for me because, like I said, I saw glimpses in that first game from Derek King where I could really see him putting it together, and it's more a matter of what Rhett Lashley is able to do with more practice time. You mentioned something that I think was a pretty salient point in the beginning, which was we don't know how much practice time they have had how smooth that practice time has been or was it disjointed because there were multiple position groups that were you know having a lot of attrition due to covid those are things we just won't know but all things could have played into what was essentially a full install of an up-tempo offense that was completely polarly opposite from the one they were running how much of that played into kind of the disjointed effort we saw last week we don't know um but i did see flashes and in that that you know the elusiveness was on display the speed um, the arm strength, everything that you would expect to see from Derek King was on display, except really his accuracy. Um, and, and if he can figure out how to harness that, you, you've got a quarterback that become very dangerous. 
I don't think Miami, like you, has enough to actually win this game. And I don't love, love Louisville. But seeing what I saw out of Mikhail Cunningham on the passing game leads me to believe that they're just going to be too hard for the Miami defense to stop because they're, they have such a dynamic, multifaceted approach. Um, and, and if Derek King can come around on the passing side, Miami would be the same way in regards to the run in the pass. But they're not there right now. Right now, most of their offense is going to come on the ground through Derek King, Cameron Harris, absolute stud, but that's going to be on the running game. So Louisville is going to be able to, to, to kind of key on that. Um, I think and slow Miami down enough. Um, but you know, I'm not sure on this game because I, I I'm not hundred percent in love with Louisville. I'm not 100% out of love with Miami. So my thoughts are still kind of up in the air here. I expect maybe a, a small margin of victory for Louisville. Um, but even as I say that my, my confidence meter on a scale of zero to 10 has to be like a three for this game. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing that Miami did look uh, very strong at doing against UAB was running the football. And, you know, that gets us down to the offensive lines. So we know about the Miami offensive line, but this is not a defense that should overpower them. You know, this is a right. bad Louisville defense. Um, the... Louisville offensive line has a much dif- much more difficult matchup with the Miami front, so uh, certainly something I'm looking for here. You know, which team can control the line of scrimmage will have the best chance to win. Um, and you know, Javion Hawkins is a big big element. You know, obviously they've got some weapons through the air as well, but you know, can uh, can Miami move the ball at will on the ground? I think they probably are going to be able to. Um, so. Is Louisville going to be able to score enough points? That's my biggest concern with Louisville in this game. I'm not sure. Uh, the last thing I'm looking for here, Tim, is uh, I'm looking at the sidelines. How many Louisville coaches are going to be bleeding before kickoff? I say at least <laughs> 2.7. Yeah, man. I mean, you got to put that number, I think, up around three. They just, they're too hyped for their own good down there. Well, it's going to be fun to watch either way. Uh, that is the time slot Virginia Tech UVA had, so uh, just remember that while you're watching it. Wake Forest at North Carolina State, 8 p.m. ACC Network. Wolfpack opening the season as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. What's going on at the QB position, Tim? I mean, Devin Leary getting the nod. Where can he take him? It's a good question. You know, I, I think Devin Leary was held back an inordinate amount by the co-offensive coordinators last year. They just lacked imagination and played one of the most vanilla offenses I've ever seen put together in my life. And neither of them really had the quarterback coaching acumen I think it takes to really take a young quarterback like Devin Leary and get the most out of him. I think when it comes to arm talent, Devin Leary, no question, has the arm talent to be a good quarterback. Um, the issue may be in his head and the understanding of the offense going through his progressions, which is common for a young quarterback. I will say there could have been no better antidote to the issues last year for NC State's offense than a guy like Tim Beck, um, a guy who is a, a complete quarterback guru uh, when it comes to getting those guys trained up. The quarterbacks love him at every stop he's been. Um, and he also brings, he's a guy that's called many different styles of offense. If you look at his time with Nebraska, they were run heavy, um, you know, really smash mouth football to when he went to Ohio State, they ran a much more varied spread attack. Um, so he knows how to do it many different ways. Um, and, and he can take bits and pieces from everywhere he's been to put together an offense, kind of a hybrid of everything that remains balanced at the heart. 
Um, so I think that can be a blessing, an absolute blessing to Devin Leary on the field. Now, is he going to be a top four ACC quarterback? I doubt it. But that's not what a team like NC State truly needs because if we're talking about raw talent, I think NC State is in the top half of the ACC. Um, and that can take you a lot of places and you don't need a quarterback to drag you kicking and screaming to the top half of the ACC to get there. Um, but we'll see, uh, you know, I think Devin Leary can get NC state to a 500 finish, which for NC state, I think they would snatch your hand off. If, if you talked about a 500 finish, given where that schedule is at the moment. So the offense just in general is something else I'm looking for. So you've got Tim Beck now as the OC, He's really emphasized the balance approach. I, I read a story on Inside Pack Sports with him in an interview, and he said absolutely nothing in that interview. It was insane. But yeah. the game will <laughs> it was it, I was like, wow, this guy has he did. mastered. He didn't give anything. Wake. Yeah. Uh but you know, Wake shouldn't light up this uh Wolf Pack D, I wouldn't think. Interesting it's just gonna this is a good matchup, I think. It's two teams that have yeah. a lot uh that we need to learn about and um i mean for me tim i'm kind of leaning towards wake in this one if i'm being honest with you just because of the quarterback situation is a little bit more locked sure. up but i am a little bit concerned about the way hartman left the clemson game so if he is looking like he's limping around or something like that that might be something to watch mm-hmm. um just going forward not just in this week's game yeah i totally agree on that and, and like i said tim beck Uh, Couldn't be a better coach for this. I think if you look on the other side, something that's kind of being overlooked right now is Tony Gibson, considering he was on the staff last year. Although he did not do any play calling, he wasn't the 100% the guy doing the schemes. Now NC State's going and leaning all the way into the 3-3-5 stack defense which tony gibson runs which is is fairly unique you know a few programs run it but it's not a common uh formation and, and that's obviously a three three five stack is when you have three defensive linemen three linebackers that line up kind of in a row which makes the stack there's no staggering at least there's not in the base defense of the linebackers lining up off the shoulders of defensive ends none of that so it takes a different style personnel much heavier defensive ends uh you know some more uh speedy linebackers in cases to to cover more of the field. Now, I think this could have a big impact on what you see from NC State on the defensive standpoint as under Dave Huxtable uh, for the past, let's call it six years, five to six years, they've, they've really underperformed on defense based on the amount of talent they had. You know, when you go back and look at all their NFL draft picks, um, they should have been putting together a top three defense in the ACC year and year out. They weren't able to do it. I think Huxtable is a big reason for that. I expect a, a decent but market improvement uh, with Tony Gibson going in. So not only, as you said, the offense, I think is going to be really cool to watch. Defense to keep an eye on um, because both of those are going to be new for the Wolfpack in that regard. So those are the games for this week. Uh, let's move on over to our doing lines picks of the week. Uh, last week recap, pretty pretty ugly for me. One and three overall, lost the Western Kentucky game, almost got a backdoor cover there. Uh, we both <laughs> lost Florida State, uh, who was a 12.5-point favorite. We know what happened there. Uh, I went Clemson as a 33-point favorite, um, just didn't uh, – didn't do enough with the second teamers to to make that happen. And Tim, why don't you just run through your picks real quick? Yeah, sure. So uh, for last week, I had the Miami versus UAB pick. I got that right, although that was really tight. 
uh, FSU versus Georgia Tech. We both lost that one. Didn't see uh, FSU falling apart in that manner. Duke versus Notre Dame. Duke beat the spread. So, again, got a win there. And then my out-of-conference pick was South Alabama versus Tulane. That was an 8.5-point uh, spread. Uh, in South Alabama, I took as the underdog, and they were able to cover that as well. So all in all, for me, a pretty good week last week, um, sitting at 3-1 and one heading into this week. Yeah, and I did get the Louisiana over Iowa State, which turned out to be a 14-point yeah. blowout. So <laughs> Great call uh, on that one. Actually, they're number 21 in the country now, and that's that's going to be my random pick of the week. I believe it's yours as well. Uh, it is. The now 21-ranked. I don't. What's their mascot? Louisiana. The UL Lafayette is the Raging Cajuns, man. The One Raging of the best Cajuns, mascots in football. The the whole like the Lafayette falling off the name has just completely thrown me off now. So it is, yeah. Uh, they're Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I I don't like it. They are opening against Georgia State, seventeen point favorite, I believe. Uh, That's right. So you know we'll we'll see if they cover there. Uh, my my first ACC pick of the week. Um, I feel like this is a lock. Pitt twenty one and a half points. I'm taking it all day. Yeah, um, I, I I feel like it's a lock too. Um, I just I can't see Syracuse's offense figuring it out in the manner that they'll need to figure it out. I hate taking Pitt in this large of a spread. Um, oh, so I. I hate taking Pitt as a twenty one and a half point favorite any any year. Uh, over the past, you know, eight years, but I, I think I'm going to do it uh, like you. I think Pitt covers, uh, and, and they beat Syracuse by more than 21 and a half. Uh, the next one I have, and this is uh, the one I'm probably the most uneasy about. I'm taking Louisville as a two and a half point favorite. I think uh, offensively, they will do enough to win this game, and they'll figure out how to slow down this Miami Russian attack just enough to sneak out a three-point victory. So two and a half points. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Louisville on that. Yeah, and so the more we talked about it, the more I realized that I liked Miami more than I thought I did before we had this podcast. Um, so I'm not gonna pick that Louisville Miami game. I just want to stay away from it. Um, until I see a little bit more from Miami and I'm able to pinpoint what they're going to be doing this year um, and how effective they're going to be doing it. So I'm actually going to take Charlotte uh, versus UNC in their scene right now is 27 and a half point underdogs. I think that'll be more like a 21 point game um, just because I liked what I saw from them on the ground against Appalachian State. I think Harbison's a decent enough running back. Um, but more than that, it's that in-state rivalry aspect, quote unquote, where you have players who weren't recruited by UNC with those chips on their shoulders going out to make a statement against you know much uh, more talented team um, and earn some respect. So I like that angle for them. And if I'm putting money down on that one, it's going to be on Charlotte. I'm actually going to take North Carolina at 27 and a half. I think uh, oh, you know we talked about it a little bit. This team can score really fast, uh, and I think that that favors you when you're going to have that many guys out there and and Mac doesn't seem to be the guy who's going to just let his foot off the gas for a team like Charlotte. So um <laughs> right. I think these game right. reps are very important especially to a young team like North Carolina. So I'd be surprised if they pulled any of their their starters unless it just got wildly out of hand. Um but yeah, I think I'm going to take North Carolina. They ended up backdoor covering last week against Syracuse in a game which it looked like they had no shot of doing so in the first half. Um, so that is, I think why I'm leaning that way. And again, Clemson dressed like 113 guys against Charlotte last year. So I I just have that in the back of my head. 
No, I understand. I mean, that's a massive number. So I totally get it. I don't totally disagree. I just, you know, like I said, I like to look for angles when I'm looking at lines like this. And I like big lines and taking underdogs. It's my weakness. Um, You know, and and I liked what I saw enough last week from Charlotte. So totally understand why you think that. Um, You know, my next pick, my last ACC pick is I'm going Boston College plus six versus Duke. I think there's enough wild card potential in that Boston College offense to win that game against Duke, let alone take six points in the process. So six point underdog Boston College, I think they're going to cover that spread and maybe even beat Duke if we're getting serious. Um, Just because we saw Kieran have a field day against that Duke defense. Um, and I, th- I think we're going to see the same thing, um, from Harris as well. And you know, that, that's what I got there. So g- give me Duke as the underdog in that game or Boston college so, as the underdog. I'm sorry. That's, that's interesting. I was seeing Boston college as a four and a half point dog. That's what I had okay. listed as. So I don't know if that's, that's changed, but, uh, we'll yeah, I mean, that I'm- number. We'll tighten that up, but even at four point five, I'd still be taking uh, Boston College. Yeah. That was that was one I looked long and hard at, um, but it's it's tough because we haven't seen Boston College play yet. And um, oh yeah, that's yeah, a risky one know. for that matter, right? The unknown aspect. Um, but I actually like that in that case as part of the reason I'm taking it because it's a complete unknown to Duke. Um, it's it's a complete unknown to the rest of ACC what Boston College is going to do. Um, and you know, I, I think that works in their favor in this case. Um, you know, Duke didn't, Duke did enough against Notre Dame, but they didn't impress me, um, a whole lot. So hopeful that, that Boston college would be able to put something together there. All right. Well, that is our show for today. We, well, we still had the one pick Justin, before you do the sign off, we got to do, um, did we do UL Lafayette? You did. UL Lafayette versus Georgia State, but I'm not sure I did. Yeah, well, I <laughs> I lumped you into it, so I was like, okay, both perfect. Have this game, got it. So got you it, are good, you good are deal. confirming. You're, yes, you, I am confirming that that is also UL my pick. pick. Okay, yes, good. Yeah, yeah, good deal. All right, you you want to get some of that action? I love it. You, you got to. Yeah, no, dude, that is know? that is the lowest hanging fruit to me. So I want to be sure that we get that one. So at least I'll get maybe one win next week. Any any final words, Tim, before we sign off here? No, I just, you know, I think if you're looking at this slate as kind of even maybe an unbiased, you're not even an ACC observer or an ACC follower, there are some really, really cool matchups this weekend. Um, obviously, we mentioned Georgia Tech, Central Florida. That's really, really awesome in the 3.30 time slot. Um, again, noon, I'm all over that Boston College and Duke game. I think that's going to be a fun one. Um, and then we got NC State at Wake, which is going to be fairly evenly matched in a true in-state rivalry. The Wake-NC State rivalry is one that is underrated. And if you're from the state, uh, you know how heated those games can get, um, especially on that basketball side where a lot of it stems from. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there are good games in the ACC in every time slot that doesn't always line up. So just be thankful. We get some awesome games to watch throughout the day on Saturday. Don't do anything make a glass of lemonade or whatever you drink, sit on the couch and put your clicker in your hand and and you're good for like 10 hours. 10 to 12. Well, it, yeah, maybe not 12 anymore because Pac-12 isn't playing right now, but yeah, that's true. That's true. 
That's our show for today. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. You can listen to our podcast in a variety of ways, basically anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can also head over to chowderandgrits.com, Facebook, Twitter, wherever. Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us? Spread the word. Leave a five-star review. It's always helpful to to let us know how we're doing and, and get us some more visibility when it comes to getting our name out there. Um, keep interacting with us on Twitter. Send us messages. You guys have been doing a great job with that. It makes Saturdays fun, uh, you know, interacting with you guys. And I look forward to doing it more this weekend as I think we have an even better ACC slate um, to talk about. So, yeah, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, follow us, our personal accounts. You can find us easily, Timmy Jim. It's Coach Yola. Look us up. You know, that that, that really helps us out, and, and we enjoy it, man. That's one of my favorite things about doing the podcast is doing this off you guys. So, um, you know, we appreciate the support, and we look forward to doing our podcast next week. And hopefully previewing a Virginia Tech season. See you guys later. Go Hokies.